they've all proved during COVID that their employees were just as productive, if not more. Mm-hmm. So they, they were actually trying to solve a different problem. They were trying to say, okay, well, we're super productive. We're hitting our revenue. Are our people overworked? And I love that about those companies because they'll stop and ask that question. Hello friends, this is Steve and welcome to episode 149 of the Assyrian Podcast. It's so good to be here with you. You know, lately I've been hearing from a lot of people that they're going to make a job change, they're looking for different positions, or they just want to relocate. Something about the pandemic and everything going on in the world has people really thinking about how they spend their time. And it got me wondering how many of our Assyrian podcast listeners are out there on the hunt and could use some advice. So I reached out to my friend Ninos Benjamin, who has been recruiting for companies like Facebook and Google, and I decided I was going to pick his brain about finding a new job. So today you're going to hear an interview about interviews. It's a conversation about other conversations. And it's a proud Assyrian who wants to provide as much helpful advice as possible. When to stay, when to go, how to look. And I am so excited to share this interview with you. But first, support for this week's episode of the Assyrian Podcast is brought to you by Tony Caligaracos and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that's been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Caligaracos. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at InjuryRights.com or 847-982-9516. This episode is also sponsored by the Oshana Partners, a husband and wife real estate team. Are you considering purchasing or selling a home in Arizona or California? John and Rita are available to help make your next real estate decision into a seamless transaction. Contact the Oshanas at 209-968-9519. Get to know them by checking out their website, theoshanapartners.com. And now, here is my dear friend, Ninos Benjamin. All right, everyone, on today's episode of the Assyrian Podcast, I have Ninos Benjamin on the hot seat, and I'm going to be grilling him with as hard a questions as I can come up with. Are you ready for that, Ninos? Bring it, baby. Bring it. Hey, that's the kind of attitude we like to see here on the Assyrian Podcast. So, obviously, we're doing this for the Assyrian Podcast, which means... You have some connection to Assyrians, and you are an Assyrian. So tell us about your Assyrian heritage. Man, I thought you were going to make me do this in all Assyrian. And you should. I would have people... Can, can, Ass- you, can you do this in Assyrian? Kiamsen, Kilhamsen, and Surai? Yeah, of course, Kiamsen. 
I can. However, yeah. Steve, I'll be honest with you. I think our Assyrians from Iran would listen with one ear plugged while Assyrians from Iraq would mm. plug the other ear because yeah. I'm kind of all over the place with my Assyrian. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's a, a testament to my, my, my parents. We're kind of hybrids. I've got family from Iraq, from Turkey, from, from Russia, from Iran. So uh, I'm kind of a hybrid. Yeah, I mean, you grew up in Santa Clara, right? Born and raised there. And then you've spent a lot of time in the Central Valley. And obviously, Turlock is mostly Iranian Assyrians. Modesto is Iraqi Assyrians. What's Santa Clara and San Jose? I don't know. We don't uh, see each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm kidding. Love you guys. West Side for life. No, I, I don't know. My family grew up in Cupertino. And, and for people that might not know where that is, that's kind of like the home of Apple computers. And uh -huh. so like Silicon Valley... Bay Area. And so I think there was one other Assyrian family in Cupertino at the time. So we didn't really see color or we didn't see like, like state lines or country lines. Like when I saw another Assyrian, I was like, yes, it's another Assyrian. This is so cool. I could care less if you were from Iran or Iraq or Syria or Lebanon or whatever. Yeah, didn't Steve Jobs invent Apple in Cupertino, like out of a garage or something? I'm pretty sure there was an Assyrian that invented it. That's let's, right. Let's be honest. But yeah, I think you're right. Very cool. <laughs> so what was your favorite food, Assyrian food growing Ooh. up? Okay, can I tell you what my least favorites were? Sure. Anything with eggplant or anything with bell peppers. If that was on my plate, I was willing to get it. What about it. dolma with bell peppers? Dolma Renge. Oh my gosh. Let's see. No, but anything else. All right, yes. we're gonna have to cut the interview right now. <sighs> this is not gonna. This isn't gonna work. Oh, Come man. on, Neos. You're you're letting me down. No, but yeah, your least favorite and your favorite. My favorite, honestly, any any variation of kubba, I will. I, I'll eat it off the ground. You mean kipta? No, no, kipta are amazing too. The ones with beta inside. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then. Nino's Bolas, I, I hope you listen to this. Props to you. You turned me on to this. Kipped it with feta cheese. You got to try right. it. I'm telling you. I'm on to something. So perhaps you know, you'll be doing some Assyrian food show next. No, you don't want me there. I'll, I'll do all the taste testing and all that stuff, but you do not want me cooking. Okay. Although, I mean, the pandemic turned all of us into That's into right. <laughs> That's right. You know what? I forgot about that. Yeah. Like we went from always eating out to actually taking pride in staying home and cooking. But I'll be honest. I think I posted like one or two pictures of me cooking and I legit looked at it. I'm like, this kind of sucks. Yeah. Like there's nothing special about this. So I stopped. Well, we really would like it if you're honest the whole interview. Okay. I know you just mentioned that you'd be honest, but... Well, I mean, really, when we do these, we're trying to connect with people to... I just you know. told you I sucked, uh, so I stopped posting pictures. How much more honesty do you that, want? All right. All it right. tasted good, but it, the presentation was terrible. Yeah. So I've known you for a long time, and coming out of the pandemic, I know that people have been changing jobs like crazy. And there's like a huge migration happening. People are moving yep. cities, and they're finding new lives, and they're finding new places to be human and all that. Yep. And... I know you've been a recruiter for companies like Google and Facebook, and before that you were doing teaching and coaching, and I thought, you know, I want to bring you on here because there are people who are in the middle of all that right now. They're thinking about where should they live next, they're thinking about where should they work, they're thinking about their current jobs, yep. and I thought, you know what? If we brought somebody on that'll help us kind of walk through interviewing and finding the right jobs and submitting an application, 
you could you could definitely help us with that. So before we get into some of the how-tos on all of that, what got you started in recruiting? Why are you even in that field? Yeah, no, I think that's a fair question and, and no pressure, right, Steve? Man, you got... What do you mean by fair question? It's a fair question because... The fair is in July. The, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, I have known you for too long. It's, it's a good question because I think it's, it's relevant. I, th- I think it's real. People are going through everything that you mentioned. And, and I do hope if there's anything that helps people, it's, it's to help them with real life things. So I'm, I'm glad we are having this conversation. What got me into recruiting, quite honestly, in a lot of ways, I wanted to make more money. <laughs> like yeah. I wanted to live in the Bay Area and stay here. So, and if we're just being real and honest, there you go, buddy. Cash. I think there's a, a lot of that element. So I don't want to hide that. However, under it all, I, I think just making money for the sake of making money is depressing at the end of it all. However, I, I believe my, my passion for people is something that's always been an underlying factor that helped me go into the positions I wanted to work in. That I love coaching kids and, and adults. And, and I got into recruiting because I realized this was another opportunity for me to come alongside people and help them take their families from one level to another and you know put people into their dream companies, whatever their reasons were. So I, I really loved coming alongside people and, mm-hmm. and just being able to pour out of myself and to give to them. Okay, so you are not one of those people that wants to be locked in a room by himself coding. No, you don't want me to be that. I can't code. Okay, but if you could code, you still would be like, I got to connect with humans. I do. I would need to. Absolutely. So kind of like in some ways, hospitality industry. Agreed. Okay. So you're someone that loves people and wants to be around people more than sort of your average person who says, please leave me alone. I love my alone time. I will say I love both. I I think because I'm around people all the time, pre-pandemic and and God willing, post-pandemic, I'm probably doing sometimes 12 to 15 screens a week. Screening meaning, you know, interviewing people and talking to them, preparing them for interviews. I get so sick of people. (laughs) That's all of that mixed with meetings internally. We're running projects internally. We're pushing stuff. We're creating events. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on to a recruiter's job. So folks, when when a recruiter says they're trying to get back to you and they're busy as heck, it's probably because they're busy as heck. We do a lot. Disclaimer. Okay, back to real life. So when I get my alone time and when I get time to just just not be around people and rest my voice box because by 5 o'clock I sound like I'm talking like this. I need to get away from people. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds healthy. It sounds like to me, if you were to say, yep, I love talking to people 24 seven, then a, that's a lie. And then B it's probably unhealthy. Like there's (laughs) people who know how to refresh themselves then are able to like go into a conversation and they care for that other person. I know in my own life when I get so overwhelmed and then I have inauthentic interactions with people it's such a terrible feeling agree you know you're not giving out of like any abundance you're just seriously on empty and you're just trying to get out of the interaction basically and i think you'll do that job for longer so i think what you could take away from that is whatever you do if you don't have a way to just refresh and a a way to regroup and kind of 
reconstruct and to heal, like you're not going to do that job for like, we love to teach you those aspects of your work and what you do where you're teaching. And when I was teaching at Healed College, one of the wisest pieces of information I got from my director of academics was take a break, go on vacation in between quarters or in between semesters. And I didn't realize the value of that feedback until after my first quarter, because you're pouring out to students, you're seeing the 30 to to 40 students a period during a three month window. You're now involved in every person's life. You're now that person's guidance counselor. You're learning about their illnesses. You're learning about their abandonment. You're not just teaching them the, the subject matter. You're actually involved in that person's life. And it's honestly draining because I'm not the kind of person that's taking that information and just being like, oh, hope you get better. No, I, I go home and pray for them. You know, I'm, I'm invested in that person and that drains you. And then it's like, okay, are they hitting their benchmarks? How are their grades? Do I need to come alongside them and create individual education plans? So when vacation time came, <laughs> I took it. I took it. I, I disappeared for about a week. I, I Okay. I went to Pittsburgh because I wanted to see a Steelers game live because mm-hmm. my, my friends in Turlock um, said I'm not a real fan because I'd never gone to an actual game. And so that That's became... That's great. They peer pressured They peer pressured me. And you fell for it. Exactly. And I was like, yep, I'm yeah. going to fall for this one. Well... I mean, the thing is, is you already chose the wrong team. Yeah, whatever, so, bro. So, all right. Well, you love people. You love helping people, coming alongside people. And you saw that your previous work as a coach and as a teacher transitioned well into connecting people with their first job or for, with a job. So when did you submit an application to be a recruiter? It was towards the end of 2015. I feel like I was in a dead-end contract position at Google. I was working for Shopping Express. Shopping Express was basically what you guys know of Instacart to be today, where it's it's an app and and, and people shopping for you and delivering it to you. I was working on these like little pieces of it where I was just a project manager and I hated it. It was so depressing. It was so frustrating. I barely got to talk to people. I... I heard about this opportunity to recruit and be a sorcerer. I didn't know what a sorcerer was. So I Googled it and I was like, oh, this sounds cool. Their job is basically find the profiles that look like the job description. And it sounds really boring the way I'm explaining it, but it actually turned out to be like an aspect of recruiting I enjoy the most. But I reached out to my cousin and I was like, dude, I'm so depressed. This job sucks. I think recruiting would be kind of cool. And he's like, oh my gosh, I know this person at Google. She's perfect. Let me see if they're hiring. He reaches out to her. He like saved her life in like this circumstance she was in. So she said, I will do whatever you need. I'll pay it forward. And so I end up having breakfast with this person in Sunnyvale at Tech Corners at the, the Google campus in Sunnyvale. And she told me what my cousin did and, and she hugged me and she's like, what can I do for you? And I said, Sorcerer, tell me more about this position. And so it was it was pretty much a working breakfast where she literally told me what the job looks like, how to be successful in it, what to what resources to, to kind of dig into to prepare. She then introduced me to an eventual mentor and her roommate who was going to interview me for that particular position. And so she got me in a room where she, she got me on the phone with him. He prepped me very well. And then I was literally on site at an interview in November, I think it was December of 2015. 
and the two managers interviewed me and literally were having a conversation in the room without me. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there watching them and they're like, we think he's better for engineering leadership recruiting. And the other guy said, he pretty much knows products pretty well. He'd be a good product recruiter as well. And so I raised my hand. I was like, hey guys, can I, can I pick? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what do you want to do? I said, well, you know, the gray and the beard, I, I, I like the engineering leadership piece. I, I like to talk, talk to people who are a little bit more established, experienced in the industry. And so that January 2016 was the start of my first uh, technical sourcer position at Google. Very cool. So that's been about five years since then. Yep. And you, you got an amazing connection. Someone had done something really awesome and paying it forward. So what I wonder is, in terms of this whole sourcing, how do you find different LinkedIn profiles to look at? The way you described it was that you, you search for people's profiles that match job descriptions. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a very, very safe thing to say. It's when, when you're hired onto a team at, at a company like Google, they have their technical skills, that their positions are broken up and you could look at it as departments. So the particular group that I was recruiting for, they needed particular technical skill sets. For example, they want people who can code in Python versus people who can code in, you know, C++ or a more particular language. And so once I learned what we were actually looking for, what I would do is I would then start understanding the technologies that we were looking for, what skill sets, what coding languages, what type of open source technologies are they are they uh, more interested in than, than not? Are there aspects of security that are important? So once I learned the type of engineer and the skill sets that we were looking for, I would then put that into a into a Boolean string or into a search function. A Boolean string? Yeah. Come on, you have to explain what Come a Boolean on. string is. Where are the math nerds at? Come on. All right, so unlike me... Why don't you just say you had to Google search it? Boolean sounds so nerdy. <laughs> People are looking it up right now. They're like, how do you spell that? It's yeah. B-O-O-L-E-A-N, you guys. So it's pretty much like when you put in a search into Google or mm -hmm. into a search bar, the algorithm starts running, it pops something out in point something seconds. So with LinkedIn Recruiter, which is the version of LinkedIn that we used as recruiters, it helps us search more efficiently. Oh, I see. So LinkedIn on the back end must have a way for other people to search it. Yeah. It's kind of like your dating apps where, uh -huh. you know, when you get on, you are like, you know what, I want someone within 50 miles of where I live. So that's a search filter. So you add that criteria. Then you're like, you know what, I want them to be this age. And then, you know what, I want them to have this color hair. I want them to like movies like I do, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. So it's similar to, to recruiting and, and well, the, the tool is very similar. So you're adding those filters, you're adding that criteria, and that's how you start to calibrate and narrow down your search. Very cool. So you find the job that, that they're hiring for, then you go in and you start searching for that job. And then what? Rinse, wash, repeat, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of it is very uh, rinse, wash, repeat. You know what's interesting is I do get on my LinkedIn, I get this so-and-so viewed your profile. Yep. And I'm like, who is this person? How did they find me? Yep. And a friend of mine told me, he's like, wait until you update your job description or your job title because I had gotten a promotion. And it, it was true. I was like, this is amazing that so many more came in because of that new job title. Mm -hmm. So 
in your role previously, at least as a as a sourcer, did you just stay in that role, or did you end up doing more? What tell us a little more about like what other roles you took on, and then we're gonna come back and talk about how do you soup up your LinkedIn profile. Yeah, totally. I stayed I stayed with Facebook for that year, and uh, sorry, I stayed with Google for that year in 2016 mm-hmm. until until December of 2016. Um, a bunch of us left to Facebook. There was a, a much better opportunity to go there. They were scaling up the operations big time in 2017. And so 40 of us left Google at that time. I was sourcing that whole time at Google. And I think that's where I, I really like built my foundation. When I moved over to Facebook, I moved over into basically the same position, hiring for a very similar group of engineers. So I didn't have to learn something totally brand new. Facebook hadn't had a leadership recruiting function for this particular team, so I was part of a small group that got to build out a really, really interesting initiative. And so I stayed as a sourcer for the next year and a half or so, and then I moved into full lifecycle recruiting. And so basically the difference was, instead of just sourcing people, reaching out to them, screening them, and then Mm -hmm. moving them onto the onsite and transitioning them to a recruiter, I became full lifecycle, which meant I sourced people, and I guided them through the whole process to an offer. Right, so that reminds me of the headhunter term. Yep. Like, to me, a headhunter is, they're gonna get it done. You're gonna say, this company needs this person to get hired, or this kind of person, and the headhunter's like, here they are, they're ready to go. Yeah. So that sounds like it aligned again with your coaching and connecting with people and helping people. All right, so, With that being said, it would be good to get into the nuts and bolts now. Okay. And so let's talk through, I have a few different just questions and really we'll we'll talk through them as if they're scenarios, okay? So just think of someone in our Assyrian podcast audience is listening to this and they're in this boat. First of all, it's the whole resume thing. Does a person even need a resume in this world? Like you called someone, you called your cousin who did some sort of an amazing favor for another person. Did your resume matter at that point? It did. I think it still does. You know, I think many people will will listen to this and then still argue based on their experience. Then they think, you know what? Well, how much time do you actually spend looking at a resume? And I'll agree with them. I'll say quite honestly, I don't spend more than 30 seconds, honestly, even less than that, looking at someone's resume or LinkedIn profile. Because as a headhunter or a recruiter who's hired to recruit for specific jobs, I'm not, I'm not, I know exactly what I'm looking for. I know exactly the job tenure I want. I know exactly the type of technologies I want that person to be around. So if I quickly notice that they don't have that stuff, bye, I'm moving on. I will, I will look at 200 to 300 profiles a day sometimes mm-hmm. on LinkedIn. Not every single day. I'm not, a, I'm not a robot, but. But I will still argue that not everyone's going to get into tech. <laughs> you know, not everyone's going to work at Google and Facebook. Not everybody wants to do that. So I will still argue that a resume is important. I will still argue that a cover letter could be very important. It won't be important to everyone, but based on the, the, the position or the, or the work you're trying to get into, they might have those requirements where some people just don't. Yeah. So basically two things I'm hearing there. One is it all depends on the industry. Yep. And two is that it still matters because it, it needs to align to the job to a certain degree. Yes. But it's not something that's going to get you the job. Correct. Yeah. At the end of the day, you, you're, it's your narrative. It's the interview. It's, it's, you know, it's your presentation. 
Okay, so your specialty is in tech recruiting, right? Yep. But I want you to take your tech recruiting hat off and just think of anyone out there looking for a job, okay? First things first, and I'm not asking you to give like deep career coaching here, but how should a person know whether they should apply for a job? Where should they look if they're interested in finding a job? Let's just start with some of that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I hope this doesn't come off as kind of like mean, but like, are you even qualified for it? Mm-hmm. I think sometimes people need to just take a, a hard, you know, reality check. You know, life sucks, aren't paying the bills. You just want to stick your neck out and why not? You know, but at the end of the day, I think it's also wiser and less stressful if you just apply for what you're, you know, qualified for. Um, so I shouldn't apply to be a doctor? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I don't think you should. <laughs> right. So start off with like, what legitimate certifications or skills do I have? What if you find your dream job, but you're not qualified for it? Mm-hmm. Would you recommend people being like, go ahead and hit the reset button, go back to school, get a whole different degree? I, I don't know, to be honest. I, I, I think the real answer to that is I don't know. I don't think there's one answer for yeah. every particular every person out there. I could speak from personal experience and I could speak from maybe advice that might help people in general is why not continue to learn new skills? You, you know, there's a lot of free resources out there and there's there's academies that you'll probably qualify for with scholarships. And um, there's if there's opportunity to learn, put the headphones down and stop playing Call of Duty and Fortnite and maybe get off TikTok for a minute. You know, uh, unless you're really good. There's that Assyrian girl that does the oh, she's hilarious. I don't know her name, but she does the impersonations of like the Assyrian mother. She has long curly hair. Um, she's really good. She should not stop doing TikToks. But if there's opportunity to continue to learn, do it. There's nothing stopping you from growing in those skill sets. I also do think looking for a job should be a job. If you're not spending six to seven hours a day cleaning up your resume, looking for new positions, finding ways to make yourself more marketable, you're not going about it the right way. What do you mean by cleaning up your resume? Cleaning up your resume. I I think there's opportunities to make your resume better always, whether it's format. What, What I would suggest to people, some of the things I would suggest to folks would be look at resumes of people in the position you're currently looking for. If you're looking to be a paralegal, Look at current paralegals that are in the field for three, four years. Take so you a, just ask someone you know to send you their resume? You, if you know people in that field, sure. If, if, um, if that's the case, great. But you could also look up people on LinkedIn that are paralegals. I see. And then just see what their profile says. Absolutely. You're learning a lot, right? You're learning about titles. You're learning about the responsibilities that they have and their accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I do? That stuff's not copywritten. I'm copy and pasting. Yeah. Not not you find to, the stuff you like. I'm not copying pasting to make it to put that into my resume, but I'm copying pasting it into like maybe a, a Google Doc. Just a running doc so that I could keep that language and say, yeah. "Okay, I didn't know that word." And maybe maybe make it more your own. Make it more your own. Absolutely. That's how I got through high school and college. <laughs> no. Um <laughs> so that's that's awesome advice actually. Like just go find people and look at their profile. And then maybe even reach out to them, right? Let me, let me also add this. Let me also add that along with looking at folks that are in the position that you want, look at the job descriptions that are out there. 
go on to Indeed, go on to LinkedIn Jobs, whatever job prof, you know, finder page that you use, even internationally. What does the job description look like? What does the summary say? What are the requirements that they ask for? Do you meet those bulleted requirements and those nice to haves, that place where it says preferred qualifications? Look at that, look at the language that they use and make that your resume as well. Of course, if it's actually part of your, your experience, you don't want to fluff and make stuff up because oftentimes in the interview, they'll ask you about those particular things and you'll have to lie. So got it. You want to okay. keep it real. So before we get to the interview piece, let's just say I found a job on LinkedIn. I'm the perfect candidate for that company and my resume aligns just right to exactly what they're hiring for. And I submit my application. I don't know anybody that works for that company, but I submit my application. Two weeks later, I get a thanks, but you know, we're going another direction. And this keeps happening over and over. Like, how do you get around that? What can you do? You could, first of all, this might hit a little hard. You could come to the realization that you're not promised that job. And so I think when you, when you have the mindset of, I deserve this job, this is perfect for me, you're setting yourself up for a lot of failure because you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You don't know that that company has a terrible recruiting operation. Their tool is pathetic. Mm -hmm. Their, their application tracking system is pathetic and they're going through turmoil internally and people are just not seeing incoming applications. You don't know that. So just from a, from an administrative perspective, you're sitting there saying, this job's perfect for me. But then on the back end, nobody's even tracking it. Mm -hmm. So, and then some automatic response comes out because they, there's some automation involved. And so you get this response that says there's been many candidates for this position. We'll keep your profile or whatever. I think if you go with the, and, and then let's, let's add more to it since I've been on that side. That po that posting is posted publicly, legally for X amount of time, mm -hmm. but there's already people that they want internally to move around. Right. So a lot can happen that that's unbeknownst to you that you're yeah. just not familiar with. So that's why my advice in saying it hits hard is is don't be entitled. Don't feel like you're going to get this job just because you applied. You got to spray and pray, man. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to spray and spray pray. and pray. Yeah. Well, I think then whoever's listening. It's totally okay if you apply for 150 jobs and get 150 notices that say whatever, whatever, automated yep. responses. Yep. 150 is probably too many. I mean, maybe, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. The key point there is you're right. It, it's, it's sort of like even in our relationships with other people. We never know why someone went haywire. We never know why one relationship worked and another one didn't and all the different things that are happening. Like one company might desperately be looking for someone mm -hmm. and another company's like, oh, we're, this is an internal hire yep. and we just need to post it yep. and then quickly take it down. We hope no one applies that has any real experience. And actually the ones who do have experience could get rejected because they're a threat to the person that they already have picked out kind of a weird deal you would think i'm going to submit my application great i might get an offer if i'm or an interview or something back if i'm qualified but it's sort of a mystery there's no relationship okay but 
let's just say you really, really want this job and you got this automated message. Yeah. What else can you do? Anything? Um, I mean, you're probably going to throw a pen and kick your pillow at that point, sitting in your room. You're going to be pretty upset. You're going to, you're going to ask what you're doing wrong. You're going to question the meaning of life. You're going <laughs> to, you're going to just go get a job anywhere and do anything because you're just so discouraged and depressed. Honestly, go through that. I, I hope you do. Like, I hope everybody hits a point where they, they're at rock bottom in a way. Not, not, I, I don't, I'm not hoping people get depressed or anything like that, but, but, but this, this isn't easy. You know, it, it's not easy finding a job. You're, there's so many people out there that want that one position. When you really look at the grand scheme of it all, mm-hmm. there's, I mean, I remember there was a statistic when I was at Google, I think, I, I think it was like over 25 million applications a year mm-hmm. come in. I, I, it could be even in the fifties, I believe, which I think it was, but I think that was the cost of food for a year. I forgot, but there was some astronomical number as far as how many applications come through a year. And it just made me say, who, who am I yeah. to, to, to feel so entitled that I deserve this job? And, and quite honestly, a lot of us had a dream to want to work at Google and at Facebook. When I initially had that thought, I, I never thought I would be there. I continued to, to build on myself. I continued to find positions that put me in a better place. Not with the intention of maybe I'll work there one day. You know, I got into Google because my friend was like, hey, dude, you need to come work here. There's this really cool opportunity. And he got me in. So, you know, it was, it was a lot of networking. It was a lot of that. So what I'm hearing you say is go through the process because even if you get rejected 150 times, there's something for you to get from that. But it's also something you shouldn't worry about because you don't know why that that happened. All right. Yeah. So let's just say now you got an email back and they say, we've selected your inter- your resume. We'd like to know if you're still interested. We'd love to see if you're available for an interview. Yep. All right, now you got your big break. What do you do to prepare for the interview? Well, after that moment of excitement, I think you're hit with an immediate feeling of despair. You go through that imposter syndrome of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to work there. Mm. I, I think at that point, you you trust the process. I, I, think, I think realistically, some people need to hear this. They need to realize that that company that said yes we'd like to set up an interview with you just looked at your your resume Mm -hmm. they just looked at your linkedin profile and they said i believe this person meets the minimum qualifications to have this conversation with me that person just looked at your profile and said i want to talk to this person I feel good at this point. If that happened to me and they're willing to send me a Calendly link or send me a schedule, say pick a time and let's talk, mm-hmm. that person wants to talk to me. So honestly, I feel good at this moment and I think you should too. I, I also think that at this point you should have, and if you don't, you should get people around you that are better than you just at life. <laughs> like, and I'm going to say that it might be unpopular to be like, Oh, I'm that, you know, people aren't better than each other. No, there are people in my life that are 10 times better than me at interviewing at recruiting at, you know, whatever stage in life that I'm at and paying taxes or whatever. I, I think you should have people in your life that can speak to your blind spots. I use those people to help me 
organize my thoughts? How's my narrative? Am I discussing this project correctly? If they ask me what was what are well, what are my weaknesses? What are my strengths? Am I answering them correctly? Mm-hmm. So I think you should have those people in your life where you could be transparent with and they could help you, you know, with yeah. that interview process. I also think you should look at your own darn resume <laughs> because yeah. sometimes you forget what you've done and people are going to ask you specific things to to that particular job and you've read the job description so you see what they're looking for. Um, so get familiar with yourself, you know, yeah. get familiar with your job and get people around you that can help you interview practice. I think that's a really good point of like, use the resume sort of as the map for you during an interview that you can refer back to mm-hmm. and look at the bullet points you put in of things you've done or accomplished. And I think one of the questions that often comes up in an interview is tell us about a failure, tell us about a mistake, tell us about your own blind spot. Yeah. And we don't really think to put something like that on our resume, but it wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing to put a bullet point like overcame strenuous circumstances to meet mission or whatever, meet meet goals of this X project. If you're not going to write that out, and I probably wouldn't, be ready to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what we are looking for we're looking for self-awareness. We're looking for you to, to be able to discuss a project or an assignment and be able to, to show that there were some, some failure points. Mm-hmm. Be able to show that, and not just for the sake of self-deprecating, but how did you overcome that? How, did you, how can you prevent that from happening again? Mm-hmm. I love that, just self-awareness. I don't want to work with someone who's blind to their own brokenness or the way that they interact with others. Um, and we all want, you know, people around us who are aware of how they impact them, how they impact others, and are are genuinely kind of on a trajectory of improving. Mm-hmm. So. Even though that was such a basic tip of like, look over your own resume. I'm sure most of us, we just blast it out. We just send it to people thinking like, okay, great. And then when it comes time, we we forget about it. So you got the call that you're going to get an interview. Now you're super excited. You've looked over your resume. You've called some of your friends, talked through the opportunity and helped them coach you up for the resume or for the interview. Mm -hmm. Uh, Does it matter if your interview is in person or if it's on Zoom? Because, you know, lots of interviews now are going to be Zoom. Um, or Google me or yeah, I, I think that a lot of companies have the resources now to provide an option. A lot of times it's primarily all over like Google Meet, Zoom or, or WebEx, but people will say if we need to defer to a phone call, provide a cell phone number, some people don't have those resources at home, you know and, and you know to be able to get on a video call. Some people can only just do a, a phone call and that's okay. you shouldn't you shouldn't feel less than because you don't have the capacity to Zoom. And that's just real. I also think that companies are getting better at providing a lot of those resources and reimbursing people. So I don't think it's bad for a candidate to ask for accessibility or especially if there's any disabilities. Some people have impaireds and and they need help with particular you know aspects of the interview. A lot of companies provide those resources and I think it's fantastic that they do that. Okay, so I got an interview, and it's going to be a video interview. Does the background matter? Like, what if I have a cat? Is that going to help? I don't know. I've heard a lot of different 
answers to this one. If you can get into a quiet place where you're limiting distractions, please, mm -hmm. by all means. But in all reality, a lot of people had to create their offices in their homes. Some folks live in a one bedroom with three people. It's, it's not easy to, to not have distractions. So often as a recruiter and as an interviewer, we encouraged our interviewers to be thoughtful of dinosaur toys flying across the screen, <laughs> you know, a dog coming in or having to let someone in because you're the only one home. So I, I think there's a lot of grace with people these days. But if you could get yourself to a quiet place, if you could limit distractions, if you can create strong internet bandwidth by telling the kids to get off of whatever device they're on for an hour and a half, those are wise steps to take. Okay, so let's go the other way. Well, let, hey, let me also add this. Yes. If you could blur your background, maybe blur the background. It's, that's not a bad idea. Really? Sure. The person who's interviewing isn't going to be like, this is weird. What do they have to hide? No, I've, I've had some recruiters actually say, like, I hate when people don't blur their background. I don't want to see X, Y, Z. And honestly, you might have something behind you you didn't realize that's a banner that doesn't fly well with that company or that person. You don't want to create a bias. So oftentimes, if you could just blur, just blur. Yeah. Okay, that's a eye opener. Yeah, I looked at it opposite. I, me too. I love it. I saw someone with like a Green Bay Packers sign behind uh -huh. them, and I was like, "Ew, you only like them because of Aaron Rodgers." And I would just make fun of them and broke the ice between us, and and they relaxed and bantered a little bit, and then we jumped into to code. You, you know, you're reminding me. One time, I got on an interview, and I had changed my profile picture to be a picture of Bruce Lee. <laughs> okay, and, that's, that's weird. And then I forgot to turn my video on. <laughs> So I'm on an interview and like a minute into it, the guy that's interviewing me is like, hey, Steve, just so you know, all we see is Bruce Lee right now. <laughs> and I, I was like, oh, no, I turned on the video and I said, yeah, well, everyone's on video calls these days. So I like to spice it up inside. I'm not going to use a regular profile picture. I just use Bruce Lee. Well, I had I, my Google one defaulted to me wearing a, a sorting hat. If there are any Harry Potter fans out there when Harry was choosing the, the school, which school he was going to be a part of at Hogwarts, they put a sorting hat on and the hat spoke and said, discussed their personality traits. Then that hat chose the school basically. Yeah. And so I was actually wearing that hat since we had it lying around and that was my profile picture. So it actually turned out to be beneficial because most of the people I talked to love Harry Potter and right. they thought I was like this, you know, yeah. magical nerd, which I'm not really, but no, I, I used to really love, uh, Harry Potter, but then I left that cult <laughs> and, uh, things have gone a lot better since then. Yeah, we're done, Steve. We can't <laughs> okay, talk. So wait, so, I got a question for you. Yes. Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, Harry Potter, put them in order. Let's go with Star Wars, Chronicles of Narnia, and... <laughs> Twilight. Come on. Let it out. No. Game of Thrones. Okay. Game of Thrones. All, all right. right. Anyway, all right. Wow. Let's go back to this. Now we're going to go in person. How do we know what to wear? I actually interviewed for a big tech company in San Francisco, and the hardest thing <laughs> for me was to wear jeans and a shirt. It was really a... Ch I was like, no, you're supposed to show up wearing... A shirt and tie but I actually think by showing up wearing a shirt and tie I would have disqualified myself how do you figure that stuff out yeah I think it's good to keep this discussion open-ended because it's very subjective people have 
personal experiences here that won't line up with somebody else's. Again, folks are from different industries that have different answers to this. Sometimes it's efficient to wear scrubs to an interview because you're in, in, in medical assisting. So I, I think, and also to assume everyone's doing it the, the tech way, the Bay Area tech way is not, is not necessarily the case. But what I like are when companies offer that advice. They oftentimes in their recruiting emails and their scheduling emails, they'll tell you what your attire should be. And mm-hmm. often it's, you know, cliches like come as you are, be yourself, be authentic, blah, 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 blah. Um, and some people take that too far. So they'll just show up and, and like, can you bat- make that noise again? Uh, I got a lot of those noises, but, uh, basketball shorts and a t-shirt and stuff like that. Some folks show up in a tank top. Don't do that. Um, don't do that. However, if you don't know, ask, you know, ask the coordinator that's sending How you, you those. Ask? Hey, what's the dress code for interviews? Just, yeah, absolutely. Say, Hey, what's the appropriate dress code? And again, a lot of companies are actually saying that in their, in their emails to you. I had someone try to recruit and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Maybe I'll go in and meet them. And yeah, he's like, just wear jeans and a shirt. I was like, I was like, are they trying to set me up? No, because they're often like, again, if our our experience being tech and a lot of people want to be in in the tech industry, whether Mm -hmm. they are tech or not, there are non-technical roles at Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, et cetera. Look at their company culture. Look at yeah. the videos that they put out as far as like employee culture. A lot of them are just wearing shorts and a t-shirt, yoga pants. <laughs> People come, they literally wake up, brush their teeth, put on deodorant and show up to work. Mm-hmm. And so I think oftentimes we overthink the dress code piece. So this next question is kind of less on the recruiting side of things and more general life advice that's tied into work is Everyone has had a bad boss at some point or another, right? A person who, for whatever reason, doesn't treat you the way you should be treated. Or, for example, a lot of people have been struggling with all the COVID uh, restrictions. And now we need you to, to do all these different new things that are now placed on top of your regular job with no sort of here's more pay or here's whatever. And really the thing people I think are longing for is time off. I think a lot of people just want time to relax to themselves to do whatever so the question is is how does someone determine when it's time to move on and look for some another company or when is it better for them to be like wait a second I'm an amazing opportunity here and I'm just letting this get the best of me because it's that old saying the grass is greener, but then people respond and say, well, no, the grass is green where you water it. Mm. So in the world of jobs, when you stay, when you go? Boy, that's a tough question to answer. Realistically, again, I would I would keep it open-ended. And I think the self-awareness point that we discussed earlier is, is very relevant here. As a recruiter, I've actually turned a lot of people off to coming to, to my company, even though I wanted to recruit them. Having discussed after 30 minutes, you know, the opportunity and what they're, they currently have, honestly, my advice to them was, hey, this isn't the best time. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's touch base in six months. Let's touch base in a year. Why? Oftentimes, I'll uncover that some folks actually have a lot of room to grow at their current company. And coming to a new company, they're essentially starting over because mm-hmm. they don't have the performance reviews. They don't have all the yearly yearly reviews that, that they currently have at their job that they've been at for two years, three years, four years. 
They now have to come over to Facebook or Google, start brand new, learn a whole new environment. And oftentimes that move, it's going to take a long time for them to get that status again. And that's just true of anywhere that you go, right? So I think people should look at that. I think people should look and see their lot in life. Is there a ceiling that they're hitting? Are they at a place where they're no longer impacting? They're no longer growing and being fed. If those things are true, I would not respond quickly and say, okay, I got to go. These things are true. I would actually sit back and say, well, am I causing that? Am I possibly the reason because I have a blind spot or I have an attitude problem or I haven't hit my goals? So you have to be kind of real a little bit. Like sometimes people think, oh, this company's not for me. Well, it's probably it's because of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're probably that person that's that bad seed in the team. And if it is, there's still opportunity and hope for you. Um, again, get around people that can help. And and I think it's good to to shoot around these ideas with people around you that you trust. And if you have the company culture to have this conversation with your manager or with a manager, I think that's great too. Yeah. That's all valid and super helpful. I know people have changed from one job because they really hated their boss thinking like, yep, I'm glad I escaped that toxic culture and that toxic supervisor. And then they literally like, their first day were calling me being like, what have I done? Mm-hmm. I thought that person was bad. Look at what I'm dealing with now. I, I already know where it's going. And, you know, at that point, doing that internal work of, am I causing some of this? Mm. Is it my attitude? Is it my mindset? Am I impatient? And do I jump every time there's a little bit of fire? Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, I think there is something to be said about maybe get out of the next place quickly because don't spend more time because really why is it so hard to just treat other people in a way that would want them to keep working for you even if they don't like you or they don't like the job. It really shouldn't be that hard. There are managers and there are supervisors who make life hard for the people that report to them. I wish I could hear the audience saying, oh, man, I wish I could just tell them what I'm going through. Right. Because everybody has that story. And I could definitely point to times in my life where that was true. I think, again, awareness is key here. You're going into work. You're rubbing shoulders with a group of people 40 hours a week at minimum, often, if you're part time, at least to 32 hours. (laughs) So you're coming to work with issues. You woke up with a headache. You have high blood pressure. You got a fight with your spouse, with your sibling. Your car sucks. I just, I don't know. You got some letter in the mail that says supplemental tax and your realtor didn't tell you about that. Just things hit you and then now you have to go to work and just be on your A game. Well, guess what? All the people around you and your boss that might not even be qualified to do what they do because they're not being trained and everybody just shows up and it's like, okay, be perfect with each other. (laughs) Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. So with the awareness piece, I think is just realizing, okay, we're all coming together and we're all intertwining our, our, our drama mm-hmm. with each other. How can you rise up from that? How can you pull yourself apart from that in a way to where you're not acting better than someone, but you know how to respond. Yeah. You know how to, to rebound and you know how to deal with some of that stuff that comes flying at you. Yeah. Lately, 
I've been really working hard on because no matter where you work, whether you work for, you could be working for yourself, running your own company. One of your clients is essentially your boss because you depend on them or that contract and whatever you want to work with people you want to work with. So you still got to hire and fire people when you're running your own company, but really processing things through the lens of this isn't good or bad. The way this person just treated me or what they said, don't go down the path of this is like my old boss or this is a controlling person or this is put in any adjective you want to describe that person and really looking more at them as, okay, this is what they did. There's pros and cons that come with that. What are the pros? What are the cons? How do I not worry about whether this is going to work out for me or not and just focus on what's the right thing to do? But that's hard. That's hard work, yeah. right? I'm not even there. <laughs> it's absolutely difficult. It's easier just to go to your other coworker who you know works with that same person and just be like, you know what? That person's a, you yeah. know, and then they'll be like, yeah, they treat they treated you that way. Oh, and that's it. That's it. It, it can... You can literally spend years of your life in organizations where everyone is just talking trash. And Steve, I think what what exponentially makes that problem more difficult is when you don't have an environment and a company culture that allows that to be confronted Mm -hmm. and to be able to talk about it safely. And I think that's the part that most people probably don't know that they're frustrated about because you're so focused on the person. You're so focused on that supervisor, that manager that's not promoting you, Mm -hmm. that's not putting you in a better position, that's not giving you the right schedule. You're trapped because, oh, if you speak up, you're now on that person's bad list. So you swallow it. And so I think people... Then you get bitter. You get bitter. And then that's why the grass looks greener everywhere else. Right. But then you now you go and interview for that company, everyone's putting their best foot forward. Oh, this place is great. Yeah, that place sucks. Don't go back there. Come with us. And then you come in two weeks later, you're working for the same type of boss. Yeah, I, I always try to remind people there is not a company out there that is looking to pay other people to be happy. <laughs> when Fair. I go in for an interview, they're not being like, okay, well, we have an important job to do. We want to make sure Steve's, you know, no, they have a need. They got something that they need done. So they didn't hire you because they love you and want you to be happy. They hired you for to, to accomplish something. But it's hard because you get in the organization, now you're months into it, you're years into it, and you feel like, yeah, they care about me here. They care about you, but if they're going to be a legit business, then you got to follow through on whatever they've hired you to do. Yeah, I would probably tell myself in in my 20s a different answer than I would tell myself how to handle that in my 30s. Mm-hmm. In my 20s, I was working at... I don't know. Gosh, Doubletree Hotel. I was a waiter at a restaurant. And then after that, I worked at like a inventory shipyard type thing. And I worked these jobs that weren't like my career, you Mm -hmm. know? So if I had a difficult boss, I think if I could come out of my body at, at 42 and go to myself at 22, I'd be like, dude, this isn't the end of the road. Sorry, non Californians. We say, dude, this isn't the end of the road for you. Chill out, learn from it find a way to to become that person's friend if not find a way to just tell him off tell him off yeah <laughs> just sure. be done with that point. where's his car let's get move, his tires move on 
No, you, you know, you would tell yourself certain things like you'll be fine. You'll ride through it. Learn how to absorb. Maybe be more patient. I hear you. I think, though, if I went back to my younger self around some of those things, yes, I earned my stripes. Yes, I got some experience. So I, I remember in challenging work environments, I remember being more interested in the work. For example, supervisor says, hey, I need you to come in on Saturday at 4 a.m. And I'm like, okay, but it's Friday at 5 p.m. Why would you tell me that now, yeah. right? This is just a scenario I'm making them. It didn't happen like that, but these are the kinds of things, right? Yeah. Boss says it. And after having been through that kind of thing enough times in deaf organizations, you, you learn that, hey, here's what I'm going to do. The person that wants me to come in at 4 a.m., whatever they're asking me to do at 4 a.m., I'm going to do it as best as I possibly can. Because there's another company out there that isn't going to ask me to come in at 4 a.m. And if they did ask me, they'd ask me in a nicer way. And I don't need to sit around and deal with this person. So there's a balance there. If they said, hey, I'm sorry, we're in this tough thing and they, you know, they did it once in a while, fine, no big deal, right? You want to help other people out. So it's really that toxic, that abuse kind of culture that you want to you want to stay away from. And I think it's okay. The hard piece for a lot of people right now is going to be going to their boss and saying, I can't do everything you're asking me to do. Because the demands on people have skyrocketed due to are you vaccinated? Are you do you have a mask? Did you socially distance when you dropped off that pizza? Did you check all the protocol boxes? And now we have a few more hours of work for you to be doing daily because of all these new hoops. You've got a grin on your face, so I'll let you respond to that. The landscape has changed. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot has definitely changed than when you and I were working in our 20s. I think there, again, I'm going to be very vague and open-ended on this one because it is very subjective and like i said the environment and the company culture sometimes dictates whether someone can or cannot go up to their boss and express their their likes and dislikes or priorities or priorities or even ask for resources oftentimes you you know you you guys are told hey go do x y and z and you're like okay well I, you're afraid to say i've never done x y and z is mm -hmm. there and is there a glossary somewhere is there like a page somewhere i can go and find a standard of procedure of work process so oftentimes it's company culture. Oftentimes there's fear. Oftentimes you're led by someone that's not qualified and you're, you're trying to figure out how to stay in their good graces. It, it's tough, man. It, it's tough out there. I'm not yeah. going to, I'm not going to act like I have all the answers to this. It, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough scenario. Well, I appreciate that. And I think whoever's, you know, listening, if you're in that situation where you're like, this is the interview I needed, you know, talk about recruiting, talk about challenging job situations, new jobs, how to show up to an interview. Everyone, I think, to a degree is thinking about it. Even people who are in the most steady job are sprucing up their resume because now a lot of people are finding that they do want to work from home, but their company is forcing everyone to come back in. How do you process some of that? Agreed. Yeah. I'm in a position where I'm happily looking at opportunities, either creating them and, and there's some works of, of, you know, doing some things on my own. However, there are a couple of companies out there I'm super excited about. 
because of you know particular reasons but I, I enjoy the I enjoy the space that they're in some of the questions I'm asking myself will they let me work remotely indefinitely that's important to me I will not at this point take a position where I'm required to go in um, or or allowed to be hybrid I want the flexibility to be remote period mm. and I, I'm gonna stand on that um, for particular reasons for personal reasons however also as a recruiter I don't want to have to hire for a company that's going to require the candidates to either have to relocate or have to come into the office X amount of time because most companies out there are saying, oh, you can work remote. Facebook, Google, LinkedIn, they've all proved during COVID that their employees were just as productive, if not more. Mm-hmm. So they, they were actually trying to solve a different problem. They were trying to say, okay, well, we're super productive. We're hitting our revenue. Are our people overworked? And I love that about those companies because they'll stop and ask that question. Yeah. Do they have the financial resources to build their home office? Should we create a stipend and, and, and a benefit for them? Do they have daycare? Are they able to take care of their children? Because now they can no longer take their kids somewhere. Mm-hmm. They have to do it in the home. So so they looked at all aspects of your life. And I love that about those companies. And and they said, Are we are we draining our employees? energy are they still able to impact their home raise their families are they still able to do all the things they're supposed to do now they no longer have work-life separation that balance so those things are important to me awesome well we've gone over sourcing recruiting resume building tips and tricks in-person interviews video interviews how you should dress we've talked about when you're doing an interview using your resume as your resource, talking to different people who have that job, looking up their profile, covered a lot of good ground. What else should we talk about when it comes to all this? I think the interview itself, when you're, when you're face to face or, or screen to screen with someone, I I think there's probably a little bit more to uncover there. You know, I, I, I do believe sometimes when we're being asked questions as a candidate, when candidates are being asked questions, they tend to feel like they have to answer on the spot, on just ready, set, go. And I want to encourage candidates to just take a breath, take a step back, perhaps even repeat the question back, or be honest and say, you know what, can you rephrase the question? I'd like to better understand what signals you're looking for, or I'd like to better understand the question. Now, you probably already heard the question. You know exactly what they're asking for, but you're scrambling for an answer. Mm-hmm. That's okay. That's okay. And, and even in the onset, before you start the interview, I often tell people, hey, if you notice me not looking at you, it's because my camera is to the left. I'm typing on my monitor to the right. I want you to know that you have my my undivided attention. And so I think it's wise to, to preface that because what remote interviewing presented for us was more plagiarism and cheating. And as an interviewer, I don't know exactly what you're looking at. I don't know if you're on a screen. I don't know if somebody else is doing the interview for you. There's so many things that could create confusion. So let the interviewer know what you're doing. Let them know that you have notes. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I think it's actually very wise to do that. And so relax. You're talking to a potential coworker at some point and they want to get as much signal from you as possible. They want to make sure they're being very clear. So that's some added information I would provide. Cool. So Ninos, is it okay if people add you on LinkedIn and reach out to you for any troubleshooting maybe 
they want you to look at their profile and give them, give them your thoughts. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a free service I offer to all Assyrians. Awesome. Um, <laughs> even if you're not Assyrian, I'll hook you up. Please find me on LinkedIn. We'll put your link in the show notes. Yeah, that'll be awesome. So we'll find you on LinkedIn, on social media. And if somebody even wants to give you a call, you're willing to be that person who looks at their resume and gives them some tips and tricks. Steve, you're killing me here, man. I'm trying to get I some have a free. life, bro. Okay, all right, all Jeez. right. Well, hey, ping him. See if he'll, he'll help you out. With that being said, Ninos, in every Assyrian podcast interview I do, I always like to ask people if there's one thing you could say to all the Assyrians everywhere who are listening to this episode, what would you say to them? I would tell my people to be very confident in who you are. We tend to have this imposter syndrome because we were raised with some funny words and we were always told no and we were always told we couldn't and and i think this is even a problem with minorities in general is we always feel that we're not qualified for something and i would yell at that stick your neck out there i would tell you to be be confident not overly confident but be confident and and pursue your passion your next job might not be your passion but you can build towards it and it might show up in two years it might show up in three years so be confident and pursue your passion. Wonderful. All right. Thank you so much. Bang, bang, buddy.